Welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. On this week's episode, I'm so excited because we have a guest on the episode. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But on this week's episode, we're talking about joy and how maybe joy is a little bit different than what we've been told in the past. Maybe it's a bigger, more majestic, more inviting idea than we thought originally. I'm not going to give you any more details than that. You're going to have to just listen to the episode. So let's dive right in. There was so many good things. So we already tried to record. Welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Are we going? We're going. Oh. This is a very casual podcast. <laughs> and we already right tried to start this, actually. Yeah, for the second time. And we don't normally record this in advance and then upload it. We normally do it live stream. And so uh, I thought I was recording, and it wasn't. And so... Are we for sure going this time? I'm 80% sure. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I don't know. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm positive we have audio. I'm not. Po- I'm actually 98% sure that we have video. That, that blinking red light means yes. it's recording. That means it's recording. So if that stops, then we're in trouble. Yes. Now, the part that I'm not positive about is whether we have enough hard drive space for the entire episode. So we got to talk really fast. We got to talk really fast and be really efficient. We can wrap it. False. We don't have to do that. Because <laughs> worst case scenario, we'll just have an audio podcast this week and I'll just put up an apology video. <laughs> or they'll have like half of a video podcast and then a black. It just black. For the second half. Yeah. Highly professional podcast studio <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> this is... I, I st- it just reminds me of Sunday mornings. I like every week I was like, no, Hey team, it's not normally this crazy. And after like seven years of that, the team starts to doubt you. <laughs> yeah, it is always this crazy. It's always this crazy. <laughs> anyway. All right. So I'm excited this week on the episode, we're going to be talking about joy and sadness and darkness. What'd um, you call it earlier? Depressing joy. Depressing joy. <laughs> the first time I said depressing joy. Um, but I'm excited because we have Ethan Renault on the episode this week because he brought the message this week, this last week. And um, last time we recorded this, I got ahead of myself. And so this time I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself because okay. um, most people probably know you. Um, you've been on the podcast a couple different times, but I don't want to assume that new listeners know who you are. So share a little bit who you are and what you do here at the church. Yeah. So uh, here at the church, I'm the youth and young adults pastor. Um, I'm also an author. I just put out my ninth book. And... Uh, that's it. Aaron and I both went to Moody Bible Institute. Don't hold it against us. At the same time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Aaron was way before me. And, uh... Like, not way. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) And then I I was with YWAM for a while, and then I was a youth pastor at three other churches, lived in Guatemala for a while, uh, teaching, and... Yeah, I always feel like I forget stuff. But that's yeah the general. Well, that's not exactly a life story, but we, that's not what we're looking for. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this week, can you describe a little bit about? Um, so, you, our our lead pastor Alex and his family, they were, they were expecting another baby, so he planned in advance and he had a few of the weeks covered. Uh, they had their baby. Baby, uh, I'm not going to share any more details about that. You'll hear about that in the future. But um, they had their baby, and so awesome Ethan was already prepared to preach but so you you were kind of like injected into a series that you didn't plan which is kind of happens from time to time when you're being filling in can you describe about sort of what was going on what's going on in the series where are we at and what were you assigned um for this week 
Yeah, so it's the Advent series, and on the church calendar, the more I, I realized this week, talking to several different people, so many evangelicals have no idea what the church calendar is. Like, they've heard of Lent, and they've heard of Advent, and obviously Easter is also one of the seasons. Um, but the church calendar is just, it's a three-year rotating tradition like it's the same each year, but you kind of shift which specific passages you go through. So ideally, you look at the entire Bible over three years. Um, but anyway, uh, we're in the season of Advent right now, which is like the season of waiting leading up to Christ's birth when we celebrate Christmas. And specifically, I was speaking on Guadete Sunday, which is the third Sunday in Advent. And you look at joy and uh, you you really meditate on the passages where Paul says to rejoice always. So Guadete, you look at rejoicing and kind of reflect on what it means to rejoice or to be joyful and have joy, all of those things. Yeah. So, but you talked a lot about dark things too. So how'd you get to that? Yeah. <laughs> um, Depressing joy. See? It was a great title. Was that the title of your message? No, I'm just joking. No, <laughs> no it was not, not, not just a sign on your grandma's kitchen. Um, <laughs> but, a, uh, yeah, so the, the illustration I wanted to use, I'll just mention it here, it was from The Life of Brian. I did mention the song, but it comes from this movie called The Life of Brian by Monty Python. And there's all these criminals being executed. And they all at the same time, like, or one of them starts singing, always look on the bright side of life. And then by the end of it, for the next like three minutes, all these criminals who are literally being executed um, are just singing, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> A few people started whistling <laughs> yeah. in service. I was so happy. Both services, people <laughs> whistled like they knew the song. So I was stoked about that. But um and so the question was, is that what the Bible means when it says to rejoice always? Is that what Paul is telling us to do? It's just like, you know, you're being ex executed, you're suffering, you're in a lot of pain, but just smile, just look on the bright side. Um, like, is that it? And so clearly I was like, no, it must be more than that. And then we looked at a couple other passages that Paul talks about his own emotions. He says, I was depressed. I was... I despaired for life itself. I wrote you with a lot of anguish and many tears. And you ask the question, does it seem like Paul is rejoicing always? Well, no, it doesn't. Therefore, that must mean that either Paul's not following his own advice or Paul means something different when he says to rejoice always, right? Yeah. So, um, so that was kind of what I was launching off from was like this idea that well, I think our definition of joy must be too small if Paul also includes being sorrowful and despairing and having anguish, and even Jesus, like, being angry in the temple. And uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Yeah. Is he being joyful in those moments? It says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy in Hebrews 1.9. So is, is Jesus either not being joyful, or is joy much bigger than we thought it was yeah and i think you made a case that joy has to be a wider thing than just feeling happy mm -hmm. um but maybe even some of those examples 
uh, that you gave, how do you know, what's a marker of someone who is, well, let me back up actually. Let's, let's like, I guess, flesh out the rest of your argument before I ask this next question. So okay. the rest of your argument is like, um, related to it, it is a wider thing. So describe what is joy. If it isn't happiness, if, if it is, if it's wide enough to envelop anger and other things, what is it then? Yeah. And that's why I've had a hard time defining it in the positive sense. And for me, it's easier to define it in the negative sense. Meaning, what do you mean by that? Meaning, um, like the opposite of joy. The opposite of joy. This is my own definition. I could be wrong. I don't know. But I, I don't think the opposite of joy is anger or sadness or grief or despair. I think the opposite of joy is actually numbness. So a huh. a non-joyful person is someone who uh, runs to alcohol or Netflix or porn or anything else that can help you escape negative feelings. It'll help you numb the feelings. It'll help you suppress them. Or I don't want to think about that right now. Um, that's what a non-joyful person does. But I think a joyful person has no problem crying when they're sad and they laugh. I said, I said a joyful person laughs really easily and cries really easily Yeah, because they're, um, to put it colloquially, they're in touch with their emotions, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, so they're not scared of whatever feelings come and they're embracing that. And so I almost wonder if like another word for joy might be like, or a phrase for joy might be like just being alive to the fullness of all of your emotions. Huh? So maybe I'll, ask a question that like may i don't know might threaten that idea but um i'm not set on that <laughs> what about a, no no i know <laughs> you're like oh no <laughs> i just preach on this but it's still a a, a shifting idea totally that's head. what this discussion's about but joy right? is hard so to pin down it is it is but so i there are people who are deeply in touch with their negative emotions who i wouldn't also describe as joyful mm. yeah so what about the person who lives in the negative space? They they tend to exist most of the time in a negative or depressive emotion. Like, mm. is it is your definition saying someone who's deeply familiar with depression is always a joyful person? Hmm. That's a really good question. I guess that So what like I would I would point to I would point to the other part of my message because I divide it in two halves and I haven't talked on the other half yet, which is joy as hope, uh, which, which is like your joy is not determined always by your current circumstances, but you have your eyes set on the future as well. And I talked about how, excuse me, how for the Christian, the story always ends with happily ever after, you know, um, yeah. I even talked about the origin of that phrase. It's a, um, yeah, or, it's a Christian yeah. phrase. Like in the 1500s, someone wrote that about Christian hope. And then later it was hijacked by Disney and romantic people and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. But originally it was a Christian idea that Christians are the ones who live happily ever after. And that means that no matter what we're going through now, we look forward to a hopeful, optimistic future. And, um, 
And so I think that if you if you downplay that side of it and you become a cynic or a skeptic or or a depressive type of person, then you're not accurately living in joy either because I think there is this element of hope that's intimately married to joy as well. So it's maybe a, it's more like the ability to almost retain and experience the extremes of the emotional experience. Yeah. Maybe the super high highs of this hope that God has talked about and painted a picture of the kingdom and all these sorts of things, this majestic future and even occasional shows up in the present. And then the darkness of the world and experiencing the heaviness of all of that and being able to retain both of those in the same space produces like a joy. Let me adjust my definition. Yeah. I think it's, it's going, it's enduring the negative things, the grief and the loss and the anger and sadness. It's going through those things and experiencing the fullness of them in order to experience even higher highs, you know? Yeah. So for example, one, one example I used was I talked about mother Teresa and it was Tony Robbins who asked her the motivational speaker. Um, it was funny the way, not Matt far, Matt Foley. Who's that? The the SNL skit. I'm a motivational speaker. You don't know that living in a van down by the river. Oh, (laughs) sorry. Carry on. (laughs) Sorry, man. I did a pop culture reference that Ethan didn't know about the African, uh, Know something. All right, never mind. Cool. Carry on. I have seen the down by the river thing, but yeah. I forgot about the motivational. His name, his name is Matt Foley. Oh, hi, I'm Matt Foley, and I'm a <laughs> motivational speaker. Sorry. Um, where? Well, no, I <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, a, so, I'm a horrible podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Teresa was asked by Tony Robbins. Well, it, uh, to quote him, since it's on the podcast, I feel like I can be a little bit more edgy. But he said. Um, he's like, yeah, his voice is like super deep. He's like, yeah. So I asked mother Teresa, he's like, what really gets you going? What really like turns you on in the morning? And he's like, that's not really something you should ever ask a nun, but I did. (laughs) 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 And and he's like, I asked her like, what really gets you going? What excites you the most? And mother Teresa said, it's watching someone die with a smile on their face. And the reason she said that is because for years, she ran this thing called the Home for the Dying, where people may have had an, a terrible birth, childhood, adult life, like they're out on the streets, neglected, abandoned, terrible sickness, disease, like the worst conditions a human can live in. She said, but at least we can try to give them a good death. Um, we go out and we find people in the streets, we bring them in. And they might not get better physically, like they're dying, actively dying, but they're going to die surrounded by people being cared for. And she said, that brings me the most joy um, out of anything that I've done in my life. And so I, I, I thought about that. And I said this in the sermon, I said, what brings me the most joy? And it's like, well, probably like a, a good game night with my family or my friends, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and that's a good thing. But think about like the the level, like the the disparity between those two levels of joy. You could say, yeah, like one, like you got community, you got friends, you got family, and that's great. But think about like what she had done for that dying person and seeing them transform, even at the end, even maybe the last couple hours of their life, and they die with a smile on their face. That's like a deep, profound level of joy 
that we don't experience unless we go to those deep, hard places. Because there's also an element of grief and sadness yeah. in seeing someone live like that and die like that, right? Yeah. And so it's just, I think that being willing to go to those depths open uh, opens up, or you could say like it unlocks different levels of joy that you won't get to if you're not willing to go to those places. So you used, used a visual rep, uh, illustration of this too. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to just describe it for people. If they didn't happen to be, oh, you actually have it here? Oh, yes, I do have one. Nice. Left. So this was actually really helpful for my wife. She mentioned, she's like, I don't think I'll ever forget that. Oh, really? Because she she is a person who like feels deep heaviness. Mm. And like that was like this gift to her to say, just because I go through hard stuff doesn't mean I can't be a joyful person. Mm. And that I, so it was a visual that really stuck with her. So yeah, so yeah, tell us about this yeah. illustration. Uh, so like, and going back to your question earlier about like, what if someone feels deep negative things and like they're low all the time? I feel like that's not the point of joy. The point is not just just be down low and then just stay there. Yeah, and just live down here, right? That's not. So so the illustration was like, if you go through a hard time as every human does and you feel pain or you feel loss or you feel anger. Let me, let me actually back up one more time to define emotions. Um, the best definition I ever heard for emotions is the human's way of adjusting themselves to reality. Yeah. Cause think about every time you cry, it's typically because something has changed. You lose a pet, you lose a family member, you lose a friend. And now from that point on, there's a new reality that you'll be living in without that person or that dog or, um, or there's a way of existing that's unjust. And so you get angry at injustice like Jesus did. Um, you can get angry for much lesser things, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like your, your food coming out late at the restaurant, which is, you know, but, um, <laughs> so, but, but basically you feel emotions in response to the way reality is, you know? Yeah. For better or for worse, you just had a baby and you felt insane levels, I'm guessing, of happiness and joy because now your reality has Clara, a new baby added to your reality. And Mm -hmm. so in response to that, your emotions are like great, profound happiness, right? So emotions are are our way of adjusting to reality. So when something bad happens, you know, say one of your parents gets sick right? It's like, do I want to like go deep into those emotions and feel the sadness or the grief or um, the anxiety of what's going to happen to them? Or do I find out my parents are sick and I'm just going to watch Netflix and drown it out and not think about that? So in other words, you're not going to go deep. You're just only going to go down this deep. So he's got a, for those who are listening only on the audio version, he's got a rubber band. And so like, like, are you, are you willing to pull it down Basically, how far are you willing to go down? If you only there's go like down this much, there's like a tension when you pull on this rubber band. Yeah. If you don't pull very hard, there's not very, very much like tension. This. You can. It doesn't even go anywhere. But if you pull down on the rubber band, yeah, exist inside of that. But tension. if you're willing to go down to the bottom, then the highs also get higher. You know. Very cool. He just actually <laughs> launched it to the ceiling and then caught it. <laughs> Epic moment on the podcast. Those of you who are on the video version of the podcast, you win this week because you get the visual <laughs> representation. But yeah, so this like rubber band, it's like you don't, if you're not willing to g- go into that tension and actually sort of dig deeper into it, it actually doesn't create that 
potential energy for the higher joy and emotion. Yeah. And and you asked me before we started recording about like personal examples of this. Yeah, absolutely. Cuz I I think to to some degree I think every human on earth is an addict and to something, to something or another, you know. Um everybody has an addiction or more. <laughs> but um and, and and the reason people become addicts is because of pain, you know. Um you're addicted to something because it takes the pain away. And I I've <laughs> I've learned that like when you when you approach anything in an attempt to reduce the pain, you also reduce the highs. So somebody who's like like at a, at a steady daily drinking alcohol, for example, um, they might not feel as depressed or angry as they would if they were not drunk, but they're also not going to feel incredibly happy or joyful, you know, either. Yeah. So so. The opposite of joy would be saying, hey, I'm going to take my capacity for feeling things and just shrink it. So I just kind of live in this bandwidth here. Whereas a joyful person can go all the way high and all the way down and back up and down. Not in a bipolar way, obviously, (laughs) but like in a healthy way. Like, like, oh, this is so sad. Oh, this brings me to tears. Like, you know, an hour later, oh my gosh, look at that sunset. It's so beautiful. And what I call weird emotions like wonder or awe, you know, or beauty. Yeah. And you, t- you you take it all in. You know, the joyful person is one who takes it all in. And they're like, look at this. This is like amazing and heartbreaking and sad. Um, but you're still grounded in hope, you know. Yeah. The, this optimistic like idea. This anchor that, to this future. Yeah. Huh. So to me, that, that that's what joy is. That's a really, that's the world's longest definition of a single word. <laughs> so, yeah, a whole sermon definition, right? Um, a whole sermon, I didn't even cover everything I wanted to say, so. So, um, how do you recommend people become that kind of person? Hmm. So, like, okay, you gave some definitions, so that's great. Joy is bigger than we may have thought it was. It's big enough, it's, it's wide enough to envelop anger and sorrow and grief and all these different things. Okay, great. And I don't need to say that I've lost my joy if I've experienced these things. Actually, no, if I lean into them, it might actually increase my past. Okay, great, great, great. So Mm. how do I do that? Mm. How do I increase? It hurts. I want to numb. Yep. Like what do you, is, yeah, how do you recommend people shift that way of thinking? Yeah. Um, well, two things. One, I just realized I never actually shared the personal story. That I was, oh yeah. That I yeah. set up. Um, but, uh, yeah. So a, a couple months ago, like two, two and a half months ago, I went on this retreat. Um, it was a men's retreat called restoring the soul and it was phenomenal. And basically I realized that there were certain things I was doing in my own life, which, which caused me to escape or to numb and, um, to be like, to not address like how my soul is going on. And one thing I learned is that like, it's okay to be sad or angry or to feel weak or to feel broken and vulnerable. Um, and I had avoided those feelings for so long that I was kind of shrinking my, my capacity to feel good and bad things. Yeah. And so the thing I remember writing in my journal, maybe a week after the retreat was, excuse me, I wrote something like, I wouldn't exchange this feeling of being present for anything. 
And I think that that's that for me that that's that's what joy looked like in that season was simply being present and rather than escaping, you know, cause yeah. you can live in a fantasy where things don't hurt and everything is going well. And I have the girl that I want and I have the job that I want. And I don't have the stress that I have and I don't have, you know, yeah. and that's a fantasy you're escaping reality. But I think it's so much richer when you're present to it for the good and the bad. And you're like, well, I'm still single, which I am, uh, but that's okay. And I'm still, I'm just going to embrace this season uh, for the good and the bad. It hurts to be single a lot of the time, but that's okay because it's okay to hurt, you know. So I, yeah. I feel like Joy is kind of communicating that 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 idea of presence, and I'm gonna sit with this for a while. And I told the story from David Foster Wallace, where it's just a. Uh, where there's two little fish swimming along, two young fish, and they're just swimming along, shooting the breeze, and an old fish swims past them the opposite direction. And the old fish says, Morning, boys. How's the water today? And he just keeps swimming past. And one of the younger fish says to the other one, What the heck is water? <laughs> and, you know, so it's like it's possible to be going through everything completely unaware. Like, you don't... Like you're, you're unaware of what you're going through because you're so caught up in like binge watching friends on Netflix or whatever it's on, you know, and, yeah. and it's, or like quoting the office and all this stuff. You're not even like actually aware of the present around you. Not like in some mystical new agey way, like just be present. Um, which I don't think there's actually anything wrong with, with being present, but you're also not being present to how you feel to your heart, to your soul, to your emotions, to the way you're adjusting to your reality. Yeah. Are you living in that or are you just escaping? And, um, yeah. So I, um, I do this, I'll just share a little, my own personal example of this sort of journey. One example, um, is because I like to at least feel good about myself. I found very, uh, I've schemed up ways to distract myself and to numb that feel less bad to me. Right. One of them is learning. Mm. And so at learning, quote unquote, learning. So when I'm stressed out or whatever, I can go into this, I can binge on some educational topic. Like I'll go and just study quantum physics for ludicrous amounts of hours because it's like a complicated enough subject that it takes over enough of my brain. I'll watch lectures on YouTube or I'll study some sort of sound engineering process, you know, for mixing uh, sound or I'll study a theological subject or whatever. And I just like, and it, I feel less bad that I'm like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just a like really educated person, you mm -hmm. know? And like, but really sometimes that's true. Sometimes learning was, is fine for me, but there's other times if I, at night, all I want to do is like watch some educational video about some random subject that interests me, it sometimes means that I'm hurting or I'm scared or I'm overwhelmed or, or whatever it may be. And I'm just trying to run away from that thing. Yeah. And so I, because my mind is moving so quickly, I run to those things because it's a complicated enough subject to dominate all of the pain. Yeah. Or a confusion or doubt or fear or self, whatever. Um, so that's one of the ones that I've schemed up 
And it, I, to the outside looking in, you might be like, oh yeah, he's just really educated and he's like well-read and <laughs> right. he thinks about all these really broad things. And so that's my way of like avoiding the pain and looking good at the same time. Yeah. So it took me years to notice that I was doing that because it, on the outside- the cognitive Exactly. Mode. I yeah. leave the emotions and just try and fill my head with as much stuff as I possibly can. Yeah. And- um, That's a really good point that like, <laughs> Often you list off things like porn, uh, alcohol, whatever. Drugs, yeah. And you don't list off the... Uh, this is why I said every human on earth, I think, has addictions. Um, or at least things that you repeatedly return to. Right. And so if you ask yeah. someone like, oh, I'm just so busy. I have no free time. It's like, that's not healthy. Are you, are you using that to escape from something? Yeah. Um, busyness. Even like volunteering. Like there's one person... <laughs> who I can think of who like has had some traumatic things happen recently and has increased the number of hours they volunteer with me and with my youth group and stuff. And I'm like, I'm stoked that you're volunteering with me, but <laughs> are you processing this stuff? Are you going through it? Are you feeling yeah. it? Or are you just avoiding it by volunteering? And it's like, that's, it's, it's a complex thing. Cause it's like on the surface do is volunteering a good thing. Yeah, of course. Um, but is it a good thing when you're using it as an escape or a, an avoidance of like thinking about a, or feeling the things or pain. you should? Yeah. Yeah. So once, so I closed my sermon with like, maybe right now in the season that you're in, maybe joy looks like taking a baseball bat and like letting out some rage and beating up a tree or smashing a old TV or something, you know? Maybe it looks like crying for an hour because you've been holding that back for a long time. Um, or maybe it looks like laughing or having a, a, a fun dinner with your friends and just laughing really hard. It, yeah. I think we often think joy is just that last one, but I think joy actually encompasses all of those things as well. Yeah. So uh, do you mind if we go into a little bit of the complexity of some of the illustrations that you, you used? And we talked midweek about some of this. Do you mind if we talk about sure. some of the tension there? So, like, oh, you mean the do Dalai, the, the Dalai Lama thing? Yeah. So, um, because I actually, I think it's beneficial for our podcast listeners to sort of think through some of that process with you. But, um, so you actually called me, I think it was Saturday night or something, and said, "Hey, I have this illustration about uh, the, the Dalai Lama and um, Desmond Tutu, right?" Yep. And do you think this would be confusing for the congregation here? And so, can you describe? the question mark you had, and then we can maybe talk through why you decided to still use that illustration, why it still was useful and stuff. Yeah. So real quick, the story was, um, I just gave a quick background on who the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu are. Basically that they're these, like, in my opinion, wise men who have been through and seen a lot of suffering and pain in their lives. Uh, Tutu with like, South African apartheid and violence there, and the Dalai Lama with the Chinese invasion of Tibet in the 50s, and since then he's been exiled from his home country uh, yeah. in Tibet. So, so both of them like crazy experiences that I can't fathom on a global scale, you know. Yeah. Um, and so Rob Bell tells the story of he was invited to speak with the two of them on stage. So he's backstage and the two get reunited and they're old friends who haven't seen each other for a few years. So he's expecting some deep 
like reunion, some solemn thing. He doesn't know, like, what do you expect when you're going to see these guys reunite? And so they come in from opposite doors and they meet each other right in front of Rob Bell and they hug and they begin tickling each other and then giggling and like pulling on each other's noses and being all weird and goofy. <laughs> yeah. And Rob Bell's like shocked, obviously. He's like, what on earth? Like, <laughs> this is not what I expected from these two guys. Um, <laughs> he's like, but I didn't know what I expected, but it wasn't this. Yeah. And, um, and he, Rob Bell also said it wasn't necessarily light because you can tell just from who these men are that it's not light, but it's also not heavy. Yeah. It's, it's, he said it's the type of lightness somebody has when they go through the heaviness and the suck and yeah. suffering and pain and come out the other side of that. And they're able to carry that, carry that depth into their joy and into their happiness. And um, so I, I called Aaron <laughs> to, uh, to ask, like, you probably like, would have called Alex, except for Alex had just had a baby. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was all, it actually wasn't me. It was my dad. My dad read through my sermon. And he said, Are you sure you should mention the Dalai Lama? He's not a Christian. I was like, I know he's not a Christian. But because my dad's also a pastor. And my dad was concerned that when you, when you use an illustration that paints a significant religious figure in a good way who's not a Christian, that it might actually suggest to people that I agree with this guy's theology as well, and you should go follow his theology. And he lives perfectly, or he, he lives well, so you should go live like him. And the Dalai Lama is obviously Buddhist, and so I was, so that, I was like, uh, I could argue both sides on that one, so I called Aaron. Yeah. And then you put it really well. You can say what you said. Well, yeah, so I, I mean, this is, so there's the, actually, that's just maybe attention you weren't even, Maybe it didn't even blip on your radar when you heard the message, because he did end up using this illustration, and I think it was it was helpful, especially to illustrate what you're talking about, just this depth of sorrow, experience of pain, and how it's come out, and these two characters um, have this joy. So I think that was the main point of the illustration in the mm. first place, but it actually does pose this weird tension question, which is, oh, wait a minute, how does this... What does that say about Christianity? If a Buddhist can go through that journey and come out the other side more joyful, and the Christian, um, Desmond Tutu, can do that same process, and they both arrive with this deeper, more profound joy. One, are we saying all paths lead to heaven? And all like, is what? What do we theologically? What are we communicating um, mm -hmm. there? And so that was the tension, right? And there was a little bit of a pause and hesitation. Well. Should we consider this? And we sort of talked. Oh, well, maybe we'll talk about it on the podcast. And so that's what we're doing. Yeah, but. Um, my take on that is uh, just because a kingdom way of being, a kingdom way of existing works regardless of whether it's held to uh, theologically by the person. Like, so like... You said if, it better on the phone. I did. So like, I used an illustration on the phone. I said, for example, like being a kind person is a better way of being human than being an unkind person. Is that a universal truth or does it only work if you're a Christian? Yeah. So there's like the, the way of the kingdom works regardless of what your theological aspirations are. So you some said, people you said like the way of Jesus works, whether you're a Christian or not. Yeah. Yeah. So like, 
this is a wrestling I've had for years because I have friends and who aren't followers of Jesus and neighbors that aren't followers of Jesus necessarily or or used to be and then have walked away. And some of them live profound lives and like are amazing people. And some of them, I would say, are doing a better job at parenting and being a husband and a wife than a lot of my Christian um, acquaintances and stuff. And so that's messed with my head. Mm-hmm. What do we do with that? when there's you know people of other faith traditions who are living uniquely powerful lives and so the wrestling i've had for years is okay what does christianity offer have to offer if it doesn't offer a better way of living yeah and so um the point of your illustration was that this is the right way of being and mm-hmm. so the dalai lama has figured that out through whether it was through his faith tradition or not, but it's still a way of, a, it's a kingdom kind of way of existing as a human, whether he theologically makes that mental ascent to Jesus being the savior of the world or not. Right. It's still a thing that God created in, whether it's the Amago Day that led him there or whatever it means, the image of God. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think, yeah, a couple of things. Like one, joy is not equal to salvation. Right. Exactly. Um, so, can you be joyful without knowing Jesus personally? I'd say to some degree, yes. Uh, do I think the Dalai Lama is a joyful person? Yes. Like based on everything I know about him and see about him, I don't look at him and say, "Oh, that schmoll, he's such a schmuck." Like, yeah, <laughs> he looks so dour and angry all the time. It's like, no, of course not. He seems like a genuinely happy, peaceful, loving guy. But yeah, it's 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 a tension, like you said, for sure. Um, I mean, we could go down a whole bunch of different soteriological roads. Like totally. who's saved, who's in, who's out, when do you get saved, how are you saved, what does it mean to be saved? But I think the main point is um, there's an element of humanity that I think a lot of evangelical Christians just like argue about rather than just enjoy. And it's like, Oh, he's not a Christian. How can he be joyful is the wrong question. It's like, um, or, or maybe another way to put it is like, maybe I'd agree with 90% of the things that Dalai Lama says, maybe 95%, you know? Yeah. I listen, I, I haven't heard much of him talking or read the Bhagavad Gita or whatever that thing's called. Yeah, me you know, either. but maybe I would agree with like ninety percent of it, and if so, why not celebrate that ninety percent? Um, when he talks about love or peace or being present or joy or the path of nonviolence, you know, why not celebrate those things instead of being like, well, yeah, but he's not a Christian. Like, yeah, why, why is that what we jump to as evangelicals? Yeah, because um, I'm think not. We, yeah, I'm, we, I'm not talking to him right now. I'm not going to convert him. And like, so what's the yeah. use in arguing about that? Instead of taking the good things I can from him, as I should take the good things I can from everyone and everything and every situation. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it is just a it is a profound question that I think uh, we can maybe wrestle on in a few future episodes. So we've already been going for a little while, but... Doesn't um, Paul say somewhere, all things are ours, things on heaven and earth, everything is ours? 
Um, yes. Something. I don't know that exact phrase. I don't remember the reference. I'm just making up scripture now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the Ethan Renault. <laughs> yeah. The um, ESV, the Ethan Standard Version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a. I think that statement, the way of Jesus works whether you're a Christian or not. I like that. It. You should get it tattooed. I should. I should. You, you want, you, maybe we could do an episode where Ethan tattoos me on the episode. What do you, you think? Won't. He's a tattooed artist, a tattoo artist. Um, and a tattooed artist. <laughs> yes, he's a tattooed <laughs> artist. But I, I think that that's a, a profound idea. And yes, the gospel has implications for eternity and all these other things. And so that, like, I don't want to downplay any of those things. But the truth is, um, the reason the way of Jesus works. Um, whether we're a Christian or not, is because he created human beings to work, to function well, to thrive well in a certain way. And if someone finds that way... Or elements of that or way. Or elements of yeah. that way, it still works better. Being a nice person is a better way of being human than being an evil person. Being a gift giver is better than being a thief. Being a... They, these are truths, whether... They theologically say, "Oh, this is a this is a Christian idea, or not?" And not throwing away Ethan's mugs is better than throwing away <laughs> Ethan's mugs. Oh man, there's a backstory there. <laughs> um, anyway, you know who you are. If you have questions about that, you can maybe make some comments in the in there. Is, is there anything else that you that you really wanted to say in the message that you had to cut? Oh man, there were actually a lot of things, but now I'm forgetting what the hell were. <laughs> I just had more stories. You had like 13 pages of notes, and you, how much did you use? I literally did. I had 13 pages that I trimmed down to three pages. Wow. Yeah. So you forgot 10 pages. I didn't forget. Well, <laughs> I'm just like... Right now, he's like... <laughs> I don't know. Nothing is like jumping out of my mind. Yeah. Because there were things fine. that I cut because they was like, oh, this is closely related, but it's not like directly contributing to the message. Totally. Um, you know the phrase, murder your darlings? No. Oh, really? I've never heard that. It's from uh, Ginsburg. One of the 1950s beat poets said it about writing. It's like sometimes to make it to make your writing better, you have to murder your darlings, cut out the good stuff. Like, oh, interesting. I really love this, but it has to go. And it's very true with sermon writing. Oh, totally. You know, I yeah, I think about that with when I've done video editing. Yeah, mm -hmm. that totally makes sense. Murder your darlings. Yeah. Um. Yeah, nothing else is jumping to my mind right now. I guess there's a story of, um, I almost used this one, actually, of a woman who goes to her, her counselor um, or her therapist, and she's like, she's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel weird all the time. Um, like, but I, it's weird because I'm always with my friends. I'm always going out, partying, having a good time. And the doctor says, I think you're depressed. She's like, I can't be depressed. I'm always going out partying. I'm with friends. I'm having a great time all the time. And he goes, that's exactly what I would do if I was depressed too. <laughs> you know, just yeah. go out and have a good time. Run away, hide. Yeah, right. hide, hide in the party. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and that story is simple but profound because it's like the, the, the joyful person can do all of it. The unjoyful person might only want to live in the party, being with friends, the good times, you know, yeah. and never go down to the depths. Um, so like the fact, you know, when the therapist says, I think you're depressed, he's like saying, you're not having a full human experience. Other people, like you mentioned earlier, might only live down here and they're also not joyful. 
Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, joy is like the the dynamic full fullness of of so, it. So this week is an invitation to joy, to true joy, to a uh, a joy that is wider and more beautiful and more profound and deeper lasting than we might have thought. Yeah, it's exciting and very scary. Yeah. I yeah, and painful. Yeah, because no one's like, painful. everyone's like, oh yeah, I want that good stuff. And then you're like, oh yeah, you're going to have to go through some pain. And they're like, ah, I'm not so sure. Well, yeah. Nope. You have to go through the, the heavy to get to the, the good good stuff at the end of it. Yep. Cool. A- any other thoughts you want to share? It's been a long day. We've been going in meetings and all this stuff. Yeah. We're tuckered out. So I think, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, if you have any questions or comments... Feel free to leave them in the comment section below, or if you're on a podcast uh, a service, then rate us and all those sorts of things. Uh, uh, we appreciate any support there. Um, yeah, and we love you. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time as Ethan shoots rubber bands at me. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all. <laughs> Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.